I never saw it coming. I never saw it coming. I was home from college for Christmas break. My parents' house and my grandparents' house were just seven houses apart on the same street. I parked my truck at mom and dad's, went in, visited for a minute. We all walked down to my grandparents' where we were having a little, you know, social time before dinner, Christmas Eve. I had to run back up to mom and dad's house for something. I don't even remember what it was these days. But about halfway back up the block, a car pulled up in front of mom and dad's house, and two blonde girls got out. I told you I was in college, right? So like any red-blooded American college-age male, I thought, well, Merry Christmas to me. Things are looking up. I didn't know who the girls were. I could just tell from three or four houses down the street, they were girls and they were blonde. Not a bad combination. Three or four more steps, my curiosity peaking, straining to see if I can identify, and it hits me. I know those two. That's a good friend of mine that I have not seen or spoken to in two years. Her name's Trina. About three or four more steps up that sidewalk. I'm about two houses down now. They've seen me. And it hits me like a ton of of bricks. I never saw it coming, but as clear as anything I've ever heard in my life from anybody, I heard, you're going to marry her. <gasps> Say what? I never saw it coming. I had taken myself out of the dating pool like two weeks earlier. I had just decided, you know what, I need to pull back from this for a little while. And I was kind of getting focused and concentrating on, on my career that I was building towards getting out of school and doing the things I needed to do. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this, I never saw it coming. And that's a phrase that you and I are going to use with each other one day in heaven, talking about the return of Jesus. I never saw it coming. Did you? No, I didn't see it coming. What were you doing when he came back? I was driving to work. I was sitting behind my computer working on my quarterly report. I was, I was playing in the backyard with the kids and the dog. I was on my way to the airport. I was sitting in English class listening to wah, 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 wah. The funny thing was, I prayed that morning that Jesus would come back so I didn't have to take my test. Amen. Never saw it coming. That's what we're going to say to each other. And you know why we're going to say that to each other? About the return of Jesus, about the end of the world as we know it? Because Jesus said, we're not going to see it coming. Jesus said, we're not going to know when the end of the world comes. We're just not going to know. He talked a little bit about the end of the world, and we're going to talk about it today. If you notice on your 
little handout there in your, in your seat. We're going to spend our time today mostly in Matthew chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Matthew 24. We're going to spend some time working through Matthew 24 and talking about what Jesus said has to happen before the end of the world can come. Let's start off today just kind of seeing really what Jesus was talking about in this chapter. And to do that, we're not going to start at the beginning. I want to start at verse 32. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples in verse 32. Don't worry, we're going to go back to, to verse 1, and we'll fill in the blanks all the way up to this, okay? But we're going to start in the middle. We're going to begin in the middle to kind of set the pace, set the tone for where we're headed. Verse 32, Matthew chapter 24, says this. Again, Jesus is speaking, talking to his disciples. He says, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all of these things, you know that it's near, right at the door. All of these things, he's talking about what he has just told the disciples in the last, like, 31 verses here. All of these things, when you, when you see these, it's like seeing the leaves bud out on a fig tree. You know summer's coming. When you see these things, you'll know I'm coming. You'll know that the end is, is near. It's right at the door. Skip ahead to verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. No one knows. Let me drop something on you here. The Mayans are included in no one. All right? Some of you are relieved to hear that today. Because you're counting down the days to 12-21-2012. Because the Mayan calendar ends on 12-21-2012. And that's going to be the end of the world. Hey, you know what? The Mayans' end of their world was a long time ago. <laughs> so if you're counting on their calendar to indicate for you when our world when, is going to end, when Jesus is going to return, maybe not so reliable. Because their world already ended. And Jesus said himself, no one knows. Not the angels in heaven, not even he, Jesus, knew. Only God the Father knows the date or the time when he will send God the Son back. Jesus came 2,000 years ago as a suffering servant. He left as a Savior. He's coming back someday as a conquering king. That's what we know. We know he's coming back. We don't know when. But you know what? Some things have to happen before he comes back. He spells these things out for us right here in Matthew chapter 24, and I think it's worth our investment of time and energy to find out what has to take place before the Lord returns. And if you're sitting here today and you saw the video and you heard the dark music and we're talking about the end of the world in 1221 and you're thinking, I know what you're going to do today. You're going to try to scare me into making some kind of a decision about you know, the end of the world and what my place in it is. You're, you're going you're gonna to use fear as a factor to move somebody emotionally. You know what? That's, that's not my point today. That is not my purpose. That's not the purpose of Scripture to, to strike fear. In fact, the Bible says we don't have a heart. We don't have a spirit of fear and timidity. 
right? We, that's, that's not how God wired us. We're not to worry or to be afraid about this. I don't want to manipulate anybody. I don't want to strike fear in anybody. And look, if y'all have ever read Revelation, that's the last book in the Bible. It's the book that talks the most about the end of the world. If you've read Daniel, a book of prophecy in the Old Testament that talks about the end, even these verses in Matthew that we're about to talk about today, there's scary stuff in there. Really scary, frightening, freaky stuff. But I'm not scared. And I don't want you to be scared. My purpose today is not to get you fearful, but my, my, my purpose today really is just to inform you. There's, there's important information about the end that you need to know. And the reason you need to know it is because information empowers you to make decisions. And the decisions that you make will kind of direct or, or dictate what kind of actions you take. And so today what I want to do is, is I want to inform you, I want to empower you, and I want to motivate you. That just seem, means to, to get you to move, to make a decision to move, to do something with this information we're going to talk about. Because the end of the world is coming. Jesus is coming. We want to be prepared, right? I mean, don't you want to be prepared when that day comes? Even though you're not going to see it coming, be prepared. I'm a Boy Scout. That's our motto. Be prepared. I think it's a great motto for Christ's church to be prepared for our returning king. So let's go in, in Matthew chapter 24. Let's go ahead and go to verse 1, and let's start talking about these things that Jesus said have to take place before he comes back. Now let me give you a little overview. You can probably find these on your card really quick. There are five things we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to be stepping on the gas and moving fast, and I hope you guys will write quick and follow along, take notes. Uh, if you missed something today, we're going to, we're going to have CDs uh, in a week or so. We'll have uh, up on iTunes, and, and you guys can pick those up or grab this off iTunes, and if you missed something, tune in and grab it later. Listen to it again and again if you need to, because I am now going to start moving fast. The five things, deception, disasters, death, denial, and domination. I can't help the D's, man. Y'all know me. It's the pastor in me, right? Deception, disasters, death, denial, and domination. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 4. Let's talk about deception. One of the things that has to happen before Jesus' return, before the world ends. Jesus left the temple. He was walking away with his disciples, and they came up to him, and they called his attention to the buildings. Now, the temple was a beautiful, beautiful building, and the architecture of the temple was, like, striking. It was captivating. Uh, the, the people loved the, I mean, it just stood out. It was like, that's our temple. You know, they were proud of it, and it just it fired them up. And so the disciples called Jesus' attention to the temple, and Jesus probably freaks them out a little bit. In verse 2, he says, do you see all of these things? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Later, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and they said, when is this going to happen? And what is going to be the, the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They asked him two key questions. Two questions here. Jesus only answers one. They said, when is this stuff going to happen to the temple? I think they wanted to be prepared. Like, we're going to defend it. We're going to fight these people off. When is this going to happen to the temple? And oh, by the way, when is the world going to end? When are you coming back? Jesus answered that question. 
He didn't answer the temple question. Check me on this if you want to, but the history books tell us that like 36 years later, the temple fell, and literally the Roman army tore every stone apart because they burned it, and when they burned it, there was a lot of gold in the temple, and the gold melted, and it ran down into the cracks between the stones. And so to get the gold out, they literally dismantled it stone by stone, 30-something years after Jesus told them that was going to happen. That's just a free little nugget for you. Verse 4, Jesus answered their second question about the coming of the end of the age, about His return. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Watch out that no one deceives you. Deception has to take place before Jesus comes back, before the world ends. Now, if you're like me, when I read that verse for the first time and started thinking about it in terms of, of, of this prophecy that deception had to take place, I was like, well, duh. Deception's been going on like... Since inception. Deception has been going on since inception. Since Lucifer, that bright and shining angel that we talked about a few weeks ago, deceived himself into believing that he was equal to or higher than God, and he deceived a third of the angels into following him, and that because of his deception, God cast him out of heaven to the earth where he deceived Adam and Eve and has been deceiving people ever since. Deception is a part of our world. We live in a fallen, broken, sinful world. And deception was at the beginning of all of that. Deception's an age-old problem. It's been, it's been going on for years. That's no, that's no real prophecy. And then I read it a little closer, and I've read it several times. I've read some other people's commentaries, and I've really studied, and I've prayed about it. And lo and behold, what happens when I do those kinds of things with any verse of Scripture, happened with this one. Something popped out to me that was always there, but I had never seen it before. Here's what popped out. In verse 4, Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you. Who was He talking to? Jesus was talking to His church. He was talking to His closest followers, His disciples. Watch out that no one deceives you. These men who would be the, the beginning of the church and who already were the church and didn't even know the term yet. Deception's got to happen in the world, but deception also, I believe, is going to happen in the church. It's got to happen in the church. He says, many, in verse 5, will come in my name and claim that I'm the Messiah and they will deceive many. Todd, does anybody claim to be Jesus anymore? I mean, come on, that's an old trick. That's an old, I mean, I don't think anybody's claiming that anymore. About a dozen people have claimed to be the reincarnated Christ in modern times. About a dozen. There are two right now of particular note. One lives in Miami. He claims to be the returned Christ and the Antichrist all at the same time. Just saying. That's his claims. He has thousands of followers. He has deceived many. There's a man in Russia right now who's like visually the polar opposite. Because the guy in Miami is like former heroin addict, has like four kids, different people, likes to party, lives large. He's all pimped out. This guy in Russia wears long flowing white robes, has long brown hair and a beard. He looks like every painting of Jesus you ever saw in a Sunday school room if you ever were in one. 
right? And, and, and he claims to be the reincarnated Christ, and he has over 10,000 followers. Yeah. People do claim to be Jesus, and people do follow them. Many are being deceived by these false prophets, these, these false Christs, and their false gospel. But some of you may be logically thinking right now and kind of developing arguments for, for how this all goes together or doesn't. And say, well, you know what, Todd? That's not in the church. I mean, technically, those men are not in the church. They're making false claims. They're, they're false prophets with a false gospel, and the people who follow them aren't following. It's not the church. They're not in the family of God. Okay, technically, you're right. So is there, is there really deception happening in the church today? Legitimately in the body of Christ, followers of Jesus, is, is the church experiencing real deception? Yes, and we don't call it deception. If we called it deception, it would be a lot harder to deceive people, wouldn't it? You know what the church calls the deception that's happening in the church today? It's the same thing a lot of the, the outlets in our culture call it. One of the terms given to it is this, tolerance. Oh, I'm going to walk out on some serious, politically incorrect ground. I'm going to offend some of you in the next few minutes. I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. I am sorry for that. I am not sorry for what I'm going to say. And all I would ask is that you would bear with me and listen to what I have to say in spite of how you might feel emotionally about it because what I'm going to say is not an opinion. It's biblical truth. It's the truth. And I just want to say this. The truth trumps tolerance. So here we go. Political incorrectness in the church 101. Here we go. Tolerance, the way I'm talking about it, is this idea that we must accept everyone, everything, all the time, no matter what. No matter what situation, no matter what sin, no matter what destructive thing they're doing, no matter who they're deceiving. We must tolerate that. And it sounds kind of noble at first that, you know, this is like rising above. This is taking the, the high road. Right? Spiritually, I'm on high ground if I tolerate these, these things and these people and, and what they do. But I read my Bible and I find that God is not a tolerant God. Oh, he's, he's out there now. Todd's out there on a limb. I got the saw in my other hand. I'm going to start sawing it. God is not tolerant. God does not tolerate our disobedience. He does not tolerate our sin. God is not tolerant. God is gracious. God is gracious. In other words, God extends us grace, which we do not deserve. He does not tolerate our sin. He gives us repercussions, consequences for our sin. He gives us grace that covers our sin. He forgives us. He sent His Son, Jesus, the first time 2,000 years ago to solve our sin situation. 
our sin separates us from God. He's not tolerant. If he was tolerant, our sin wouldn't separate us. He'd just give us a wink and a wave and say, it's cool. Don't sweat it. Keep doing what you're doing. He didn't do that. He sent Jesus because he loves us so much, because he has so much grace and mercy, and he wants to forgive you and me for our sin. And Jesus provides that way. And what it takes for us to receive God's grace is faith. We are saved from our sin by God's grace, which we don't deserve, through faith. That Jesus is who he says he is, God's son, does what he says he'll do, forgive you of your sins. Believe that. Invite Jesus into your heart. Ask him to be your Lord. That's your leader, your Savior. That's the thing we just talked about. And God's grace covers your sin. God is not tolerant. God is gracious. If I hadn't offended you yet, buckle up. Here's some more truth. Truth trumps tolerance. And the truth is, good people don't get into heaven. (gasps) But that's what I've always been taught. That's what I've always thought. If I'm good enough... I'll get in. Nope. Burst your bubble. It's not the truth. Forgiven people get into heaven. You can't be good enough. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. If we're going to make a scale of who's good and who's not, I don't know, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, way up high on the good scale, Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, I don't know, somewhere way down here. Where are you? Is it good enough? I mean, where's the line? Everybody above this gets in? No, it doesn't exist. Good people don't live the blessed life that Jesus came to provide and don't get into heaven. Saved people, forgiven people do. Man, that's not tolerant, Todd. I know, but it's true. Here's some some truth, too. In a survey a few years ago, 43% of Christians who responded, 43% of people who claim to follow Christ, believe that all faiths basically teach the same thing. All faiths basically teach the same truths, the same thing. 57% said that many religions will lead to eternal life. 43% that Pretty much every faith, every religion teaches the same thing. 57, that more than one religion, many religions, can lead to or do lead to eternal life. Let's talk about that for a minute. Deception in the church. Christians believe that all faiths teach basically the same thing. I don't have time to go into a big dissertation about what all the different world religions and faiths teach and believe. But let me point out a few notable differences just off, just, just real quick. Um, Hindus. Hindus believe that they, there is reincarnation, right? That you come back as something else after you die. They believe you start at some lower order of animal, like a cricket or something, and you eventually live a good cricket life and come back as a, a cat 
and you live a good cat life, and you get to come back as a goat, and you live a good goat life, and you make humanity. You're a good person, and eventually you get to come back as a cow, which is a holy animal and revered by all Hindus. That's their holy, they worship cows. That's not in here. That's not in here. Um, we don't teach the same thing as Hinduism. Hinduism doesn't teach the same thing as, as Christianity. Mormons. Uh, Mormons. Mormons are good people. We've been good people. We just, Mitt Romney, man, we just went through this whole thing, the election, and man, they looked into Mitt Romney's life, and he's a great guy, it sounds like, good family life, and you probably know some Mormons. I know some Mormons. We've got two families on our street. They're lovely people. We, we, we love them. They're great. They teach good family values and all this stuff. I mean, sh they don't teach the same thing we teach, though. Mormons, maybe nice people, maybe not nice people. doesn't matter. The ones you know are just the ones you know. But what does the Mormon church teach? Well, the Mormons teach that, first of all, ladies, you can't get to heaven unless your husband does. And then he has to decide whether, you get, whether he's going to take you with him or not. So you better be good to him in this life. Amen? So, you know, that's one of the things that's different. The other thing that's, that's different with that, y'all are all looking around laughing. I don't know what just happened, but somebody got an elbow in the ribs or something. I don't know. Several elbows in the ribs. All right. You know what? Ladies, when you get there, guess what gets to happen? If you're good enough in this life, when you get to heaven, you will get to be um, the gods of your own planet. And ladies, you'll get to be eternally pregnant to populate the planet. Sound fun? It's not in there. Islam, if your wife is disobedient, belligerent, doesn't want to do what you say she should do, men, then you not only can but should beat her. Oh, by the way, anybody who does not believe Islam is called an infidel, and it is the responsibility of Muslims to kill them. That's their evangelism plan. I didn't find that one anywhere in here. I could keep going. I don't think I need to. I think I better move on. See, those things are not in the Bible. Every religion doesn't teach basically the same thing. They're very, very, very different. And if you have been deceived into believing that you can believe whatever you want to believe, and still get there in the end? That's ignorant. You're not, I'm not calling you ignorant. I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm saying you're uninformed about the facts, about Christianity, and about other faiths and religions. It's deception. It's not tolerant, Todd. I know, that's true. How about many religions can lead to eternal life? Here's a verse that I've referenced so many times at Elevation Church. I bet you guys can recite it with me. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Doesn't sound very inclusive. Doesn't sound very tolerant. 
doesn't sound very WWJD to me. You know what? Christianity is the most inclusive faith, religion, whatever you want to call it. And by the way, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. That's another message for another day. Let's call it a religion today just so we're on the same page here. The most inclusive religion in the world. Exclusive? That's let's kill everybody else that doesn't believe what we believe. Inclusive. Jesus said, go into all the world. Go to every nation. Preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, of salvation from sin, of inclusion and eternal life in heaven. Go everywhere. Reach everyone. It's open to anybody and everybody. It's the most inclusive religion in the world. We don't have to tolerate false teaching. To tolerate that mess in the church or anywhere else. We've got the truth to stand on. Don't be deceived. Acts 4.12. Jesus. So salvation is found no one in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved except that of Jesus. Except that of Jesus. Every religion cannot take you to eternal life. Not tolerant. Sounds awfully arrogant. Okay, let me ask you a question. Don't give it to me, but what is your phone number? What's your phone number? The phone, you, if I want to call you, what number do I call you on? You give me your number? I don't believe that's the right number. I believe I can call any number and reach you. I can choose my own number, and if I sincerely, earnestly believe that when I dial that number, it will reach you, I'll get there. Now, who's arrogant? You've got one phone number. I've got one phone number. If I believe that I can just make up a number and believe it's strong enough that that'll get to you, who's arrogant? Not you for giving me the one way to reach you. Me, for thinking I can come up with it on my own. That's what's arrogant. To think that you can choose your way to God. When God has made the only way by coming to you. Don't be deceived. Not every religion leads to eternal life. Only Christianity does. Only Christians have eternal life with God. Every other major world religion does lead to the same place. It does lead to the same eternal destination, but it's not heaven. It's hell. That's not tolerant, but it's the truth. The difference, the most tangible, palpable, visual evidence of the difference between Christianity and any and every other major world religion is that you can go to any one of their founders' graves and the body is there. They're not coming back. But when you go to the tomb of Jesus, it is empty because He is risen. He's alive. And He's coming 
back. And that's good news. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Disaster. The second thing that has to happen. Man, i got to accelerate now. Disaster. The second thing that has to happen before Jesus returns. Matthew chapter 24, verses 6 and 7. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Where it says nation will rise against nation in the Greek, that's literally translated ethnos versus ethnos. Ethnic group versus ethnic group. In the last 10 or 15 years, at least two or three different places in the world, different wars have been fought for ethnic cleansing. Hitler was all about ethnic cleansing. Wanted to wipe an entire ethnicity off the planet. It's happened in, in um, Bosnia and Rwanda, different places where we're just trying to wipe an entire ethnicity out. Saddam Hussein tried to do it against some people that lived in the north part of of his country, the the Kurds. It's just crazy. We're just just ethnic cleansing, wiping out entire ethnicities, one ethnicity, believing they're better than, stronger than, superior to, and then trying to destroy the other. Wars and rumors of wars. World War II ended in 1945. It was supposed to be the war to end all wars. Since 1945, more than 225 armed conflicts have taken place around the globe. Some of the people sitting in this room have participated, have fought and defended freedom, Christianity even. They've defended that. And by the way, for our veterans in the room, I am so sorry I did not stop down last week and honor you for your contribution to this country, to our freedom. Thank you to each and every one of you. Tanner, Mark, I hate it when I do that. (laughs) Is there anything more embarrassing than looking right at a guy and not being able to call his name? That is awful. Somebody I hang out with, have breakfast with, meet with, talk to all the time. Isn't that awful? Thank you for your contribution. Vietnam, right? Roy, that's right. I earned that. I will take it. I've always said I will take a whipping when I've earned it. I earned it. In fact, I earned a lot worse than that. Thank you for your grace. But thank you all for your service. Wars and rumors of wars. Been watching the news? Middle East has never been hotter. I mean, they're firing rockets at each other right now. Israel and Hamas. Egypt is just chomping at the bit to get involved. Pakistan is nuclear. Iran is on the brink. Israel already is. Iran says when they get nuclear weapons... It's not a maybe, it's not an if, it's a when. They're going to use them on Israel. They just go ahead and say it. I mean, I like that kind of enemy. If you're going to have to have an enemy, you might as well know what he's about, right? They're not playing. They get nukes, they're going to use them. 
Israel's already said, well, we're not going to let them get there. We'll use ours if we have to to stop them. Wars and rumors of wars, man, wars are being fought right now. People are dying right now. Rockets are being fired. Bombs are being dropped. Bullets are crossing each other in transit, aimed at the enemy right now, all over the world. And the Middle East, the, uh, it's just the hotbed. It's, and I don't, it's never been more unstable in my lifetime. I mean, it's been this unstable before, but I'm not sure it's ever been any worse. Check out verse 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of birth pains. Wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes, disasters. A billion people today are hungry around the globe. 41,000 people today will die from hunger. 41,000 people, half of Flower Mound's population today will die of hunger. Crazy numbers. It's 28 people a minute. And the time it took me to describe that to you, everybody in this room, somewhere in the world, passed away from hunger. It's crazy. The United Nations, a few years ago, put out a report that said the population is increasing and the food supply globally is decreasing at such a rate that in the next 20 to 30 years, they are predicting a massive global famine. crazy. Natural disasters, earthquakes. The Red Cross says there's been a fourfold increase in the last two to three decades. Something like 120 to over 500 natural disasters a year now occur. We had three earthquakes right here in Dallas-Fort Worth this summer. Did y'all know that? Three that registered on the Richter scale. Two in a 24-hour period in Las Colinas, one in Johnson County. These were two and three range Richter scale earthquakes. In North Texas, did y'all look at, this isn't Southern California. This is not a place known for earthquakes. I mean, yeah, they can happen anywhere, but are you kidding me? Three this summer. More and more earthquakes, more and more uh, natural disasters all around the globe. I heard a pastor recently describe this as being creation crying out creation crying out birth pains preparing for the return of Jesus death the third thing that must happen before Jesus returns verses 9 through 11 in Matthew chapter 24 verses 9 through 11 then you will be handed over you being the church you being Christians you being Jesus's followers handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Death, persecution. We know the first century church was persecuted. That crazy Saul guy, the Jews Jew, persecuted the first century church because he, he hated the Christians for breaking off and being a, 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 a sect of Judaism that he did not agree with their theology, didn't believe what they believed, and he was killing Christians and proud of it until he became one. And we now call him the Apostle Paul. The early church was 
was certainly persecuted. Roman emperors fed Christians to lions and made sport and entertainment out of their deaths. I read that one, I can't remember which one it was, actually lit Christians on fire and used them as torches for his garden. I call that persecution. Some of us think we're persecuted in, in the American church today. Like, you know, we can't um, meet in certain buildings. and They took prayer out of the schools. And man, those are, those are certainly persecution things, but that's like low-level persecution. But is there real persecution in the 21st century church? I mean, are people really dying today? Today in China, there are Christians meeting undercover because it is illegal to be a Christian. There are house churches with little groups of people. Sometimes they travel for miles and miles and miles. They walk under the cover of darkness. They meet in seclusion. They hide their faith, but they practice their faith. And when the authorities discover it, these people can be arrested. They can be brutalized. I've heard of houses being burned down for, being, for hosting a house church or for even being suspected of hosting a house church. And they may or may not evacuate the families before they set the flames to them. Saudi Arabia, not very long ago, a girl converted from Islam to Christianity, a teenage girl. Her father cut her tongue out so she could not confess Christ. It's persecution. Also in Saudi Arabia, I heard a pastor tell a first-hand story, second-hand to me, first-hand story from him about a man that he met. He was a Kenyan man. He was in Saudi Arabia. He was a Christian. They discovered his faith. They drilled holes in his legs and suspended him upside down and tortured him for days to get him to renounce his faith, to denounce Jesus. He wouldn't do it. That's persecution. That's 21st century church. Today, persecution. From 1900 to 2000, 45 million Christians were murdered for their faith. Today, right now, modern numbers, about 480 Christians a day are martyred, murdered for their faith. The first century church was persecuted. The 21st century church is persecuted. Denial, the fourth thing. It's dark in here, man. It's getting heavy. It's getting heavier now. Denial, verses 12 and 13, Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13. Denial. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Denial has to happen before Jesus comes back. If you haven't noticed, the world is growing cold. What we once called common courtesy is so uncommon today. Waving at somebody, smiling at somebody, waving back or returning the smile is very uncommon. Even meeting somebody's gaze, opening doors. We're growing cold. We turn our backs on the homeless. We close our eyes to the hurting. Some of us don't even know who our neighbors are. We drive into our house. We use our automatic garage door opener. We pull in. We close it behind us. We go out in our backyard with our privacy fences, board on board, can't see through it, can't see over it. 
We seclude ourselves in our homes. We, we hardly know anybody. We're cold. Gotten cold when it comes to loving God and loving others. So cold that we even deny some of the darkest, most heinous crimes that are happening around us. In fact, we don't just deny them. We've done what the Romans did. We've made sport and entertainment out of them. There are video games. There's, there's apps you can download to your smartphone today to pretend to be a sniper and kill people in the streets for reward and for fun. It's cold. We watch TV and movies that people die in at alarming rates and violence. And There's a video game now that if you commit a rape in this video game, you get bonus points. Sexual violence as entertainment. And they fly off the shelves. And some of your teenagers may be playing them, so you might want to check those games. Check the ratings on them. It's crazy stuff. It's hard to believe we're that cold that we deny Christ. We deny God at that level. We deny His call to love Him and love others. When we deny each other, we deny Him. Some crazy, alarming, ridiculous statistics here about some of these crimes. We don't have time for it. I'm not sure I have the heart for it today. I'm not sure you guys do either. The last thing that Jesus said has to happen, verse 14, domination. Somebody turn on the lights. The good news is starting to come out. Domination. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, Jesus says, the end will come. The gospel will be preached to the whole world world. The good news will circumnavigate the globe. All seven continents, every country, every people, every culture will receive the gospel. doesn't mean every person will respond to it. Every person will believe it. But every person will have a chance. Every place on earth will be exposed to the gospel. I believe we're very, very close to that. I believe the gospel has, has gone around the world. I know it has. I believe it's been to some of the most remote, darkest, outlying places on earth. I'm not sure that every culture and every people and every country have not received it. But Jesus hasn't returned, so obviously there is some more work to do. Obviously, there's more work to do to be sure that every person has an opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus. You've heard it today. The gospel has been preached here today. If you've never heard it before today, you will not walk out these doors without hearing the truth about Jesus, about salvation by grace through faith, about your sins separating you from God and God reconciling you to Him through Christ. Some of you have already responded to that gospel. You're in the family. You're believers. You're Christians. You're good. You're saved. Do not rest on your blessed assurance. There are others in your household, in your family, 
who may not be or who flat out aren't. There are people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school. There are people that you rub elbows and shoulders with, make eye contact with, speak to every day or every week or every month who are far from God. They've been deceived. They believe they can choose their own way. Any path will lead them to heaven. They're walking under this false gospel or that false Christ. Maybe it's just they've made themselves God. You can bring the truth to light for them. The gospel is going to go around the world. It's going to dominate. Not in that everybody, again, is going to respond favorably or, or choose it. But the domination is no place on earth will be left untouched. No people group, no culture without the opportunity to hear and to know the truth and to respond to it as they choose. If you've made that decision yourself, if you've chosen to follow God, to invite Jesus into your heart, to make Him the Lord of your life, your leader, and your Savior, then you have nothing to fear about His return or the end of the world. I am not afraid. I'm good. And if you're good, don't be afraid. Be prepared. Be prepared. And prepare as many people as you can for whatever time we have left. Because Jesus is coming back. And the end will come. Be prepared.